Psalm 119 and the verse 89 and the part that commences verse 90. I leave with you this morning forever, O Lord. Thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Now in coming to verse 89, this section which runs down to verse 96, we enter into what we might call the Lamed room. We've looked at this psalm as having 22 rooms, and each room has a Hebrew letter on the door as you enter, and the Hebrew letter here is Lamed. And that gives us the L sound in the Hebrew language. And the word Lamed, which is the name of this letter, means to teach. And so we're thinking about the necessity of learning, the necessity of being instructed whenever we come into this room. Now, Lamed is a favorite word with David. He doesn't actually use the word in this section, just the letter commencing each verse, but he does use the word about 13 times in other sections in the psalm. And we've met those occasions already. In verse 68, for example, he says, Teach me thy statutes. That's the word lamed. Teach me thy statutes. And then in verse 71, he says, It's good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes, that I might be taught thy statutes. And again, this is the word uh, lamed. So the letter Lamed in Hebrew makes the Hebrew think about the importance of learning and instruction. Now Dr. Douglas, who has, as you know, an excellent book on Psalm 119, says this letter is easy to remember for its significance because Whenever people learn to drive, what do they stick on the car? The letter L. And we all know what the letter L means. It means learner. Learning to drive. And whenever people, and I don't know if they do this in Israel or not, maybe Mr. Douglas would do better than me, but they would stick on the letter Lamed. The letter Lamed. Learning to drive. They would display that. A learner. Now, not every Christian may learn to drive, but every Christian has to learn the Bible. Every Christian has to be taught of God. So we all have to wear the letter Lamed in God's school. And whenever you come into the church, the letter Lamed is on the door. Learners in God's school. So this letter reminds us of that. And for this learning, we need God's Word. Because it's God's Word that we learn from, and it's God's Word that teaches us. And it's God's Word that we learn. We actually learn God's Word. So it's 
telling us about the importance of the Bible in learning. Now this is the twelfth letter. We're over halfway now through the Hebrew alphabet. And this is the letter number 12, right there in the middle. And the number 12 makes us think of government. There were 12 patriarchs who governed Israel. There were 12 apostles, the school of the apostles, that governed the church under the head Jesus Christ. And what were these governors, these apostles? They were teachers. That's how they governed. They governed by teaching. They governed by the word of God that they brought. And so the school of the apostles were teachers. They give themselves to the ministry of the word. And we're built on that. We're built on the apostles. We're built on the government of the apostles. And that means we're built on the apostolic teaching of the word of God. So the number 12 is significant in that respect as well, being governed and taught by the word of God. And in the Old Testament, there are the minor prophets. But in the Hebrew canon, the minor prophets make one book. And it's called the book of the 12. And the Hebrew prophets gather them together because of the numerical significance of 12. These are the prophets. There are main prophets too. They think are five in number. But the minor prophets, they are significantly consolidated, the 12 of them, in one book, reminding us of the importance of being governed by the prophets and being taught by the word of God in that government. So the, the Lamed reminds us of the Bible. Now the shape of the letter, I don't know if you all have the letter there identified, you've probably just got the letter named Lamed, but if you're fortunate to have the script, the letter written in the Hebrew, then you'll know what I'm talking about. It's an odd shape, and you maybe say, well how do you get teaching and learning out of a letter that's shaped like that? Well, we can think upon it as a shepherd's crook, you'll see it's, it's a, that hoop shape coming to a sharp point. Uh, and it's the pointedness of it that is, is brought out in the letter. Here, here's something that's, that's used on beasts, on the sheep, on the ox. Or you could picture it as a goad. Uh, an ox's goad. It has a sharp point. And what do you do? You prod the beast because the beast doesn't want to move. It doesn't want to go along the path. And so you prod it. You have to teach it by prodding it. Or if it's a sheep, you might have to put the, the, the wee loop around its neck and push it on, whatever. But uh, this letter is telling us about the government of the beasts, the teaching of the beasts, getting the beasts to go in the right direction, getting the beasts to move the letter is appropriate for that. God's word is pointed. It jags us. We're made to feel it. And it keeps us right. Even when it hurts, we know we're being kept right by it. You know, God's people are like, are like beasts at times. We don't behave like those that are rational creatures very often. God says this himself. It's not something that I'm saying. The Lord says, The ox knoweth his owner. 
and the ass his master's crib. You don't have to go the beast to go and get its food. But you know some people you have to go to get them to the Bible. So we're like we're worse than the beasts. The ox knows, the ass knows. But Israel does not know, God says. They're worse than the animals. And sometimes we're, we're called brutish in the Bible. And David said on one occasion, and if David the man of God had to say this, we have to say it too, I was as a beast before thee. And we need the goat. We need to feel the sharpness of God's word to teach us, to instruct us, to keep us right. Now you remember Saul of Tarsus. He didn't know the Lord Jesus. And he had not learned to trust in him yet. And he wasn't on the right way. He was on the wrong way. However, the Lord was beginning to deal with him. And he was beginning to feel God's word. He was beginning to feel the gospel. He didn't like it. You remember what the the Lord said to him? Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And that's the gold, the pricks of the gold. Paul was, he was beginning to feel them. God's sharpness, I'm on the wrong way. I'm beginning to feel them on the wrong way. God's word's beginning to convict me. And he was kicking against that. He was kicking against the pointiness of the word. And Jesus says, it's hard for you to kick against Paul. So he was beginning to feel the word, you see. He was beginning to be taught. He was beginning to be instructed. He resisted. But finally the word broke through and he was taught the gospel and he was instructed in the faith and he came to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and went on to the right way. And that's what the Bible is for. To teach us the right way. To teach us about God. To teach us about ourselves. But need to be taught about ourselves from the Bible. To teach us about salvation in Jesus Christ. To teach us what we are to believe concerning God and Christ and the Holy Spirit. And what our duty is with respect to that triune God. And so the Bible is the goad and the instructor and the instruction for us. And the essence of scripture is to ground us in the faith. Now the Jews have pointed out about this letter that it is the tallest and it's the center one. It's in the middle, being number 12. And it towers above all the others. You would start the lamet on the line, but it would curl away up and then there would be this long bit and the top of it would be above all the other letters. Their top is way below it. And the top of the lamet towers over the rest. So here it is, this towering letter in the middle of the Hebrew alphabet. It stands out. It's central. And the Jews call it the king of the letters. And it's very interesting that on one side of it, there's a mim. And on the other side of it, there's a calf. These three Hebrew letters. And you know what those three Hebrew letters make up when they come together? 
the mem, the lamet, and the calf. King. The word king. This is a king letter. Because the king thing and the most important thing and the most central thing of all is to be taught of God. Is to be instructed by the Lord. Is to know the Bible. So that's the most important thing of all. And that's what God's church is. It's a school for instruction. It has put us in the school of the disciples to learn the word of God. And that's what our life is all about, you know. That's why God has put us into the creation and given us a brain and a soul so that we would learn about God from the creation. The creation is our school. But when we became sinners, God had to put us into the school of grace. And so he's brought us into the church and we learn the gospel. We learn about the Lord Jesus. So the basic definition of a Christian is a disciple, a learner in God's school. And David's coming into this room and this is in his mind the necessity of being taught He prays this first word. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Now you'll notice these aren't petitions. David's not asking the Lord for anything. He's stating a fact. He's making a confession about the teacher. He's making a confession about what the teacher uses, his word. And he says, your word, Lord, is established forever in heaven. And you, Lord, the teacher, your faithfulness, your truthfulness is unto all generations. So he's thinking about the teacher. He's thinking about what the teacher uses, the word, his word. And as he goes into the learning room, he says, this is what I have. I have a word that's settled in heaven And I have a faithful teacher in every generation of the church. And he wants to remind himself of that as he comes into the teaching room. And so we ask ourselves this morning, is the Bible enough to teach us? Is the Bible sufficient to teach us? Do we need something more? And so we're talking this morning about the necessity of his divine word. Can that word err? Just like in the universities, university teachers err, they teach us things that are wrong. Can the Bible do that? Is the Bible fallible? Is the Bible going to lead us astray? Is the word of God going to send us on a wrong path? These are very important questions. And God's people know the answer to those questions. We know the Bible is the word of God and it can't err and it won't lead us astray. And what I'm speaking about this morning is the necessity of having that confidence in the Bible renewed. Our faith in the word of God. And knowing that it is forever established in heaven and its divine author is true and faithful in every generation. So that's what we're learning today.
in every age, men can't believe the Bible. Sadly, we live in an age where, where people don't believe in the Bible, where they're not having faith in the inspiration of the Word of God. Well, if the Bible isn't God's Word, brethren and sisters, we might as well take down the signs of the church and go home. If the Bible is not God's Word, then the church is not God's school. And we're not different from any other society or any other establishment or even the universities of the land. We might as well pack up, go and close the doors for good. If our Bible is not God's word, then we have no heavenly teaching. And we have no heavenly teacher. We do, however, have God's word. And we have a faithful God who teaches us. We have the faithful Bible. As the Bible says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Every scripture. Remember how the Lord Jesus said to his father, Father, I have given them the words. The words which you have given me, I've given them the words. They're not floating around in space, you know, lost. No, he's given us the word. And they're in here. These are the words. And he said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so we have the word of God. Now, whenever David says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven, I want you to know that he is speaking about the Bible. The Bible that he possesses at that time. Not as big as the Bible we have today, but he had a good part of the Bible. He's speaking about that throughout this whole psalm. He's seen that. Torah, law, statutes, testimonies. These are things that are written. And very often he calls the Bible, thy word, thy word. So he's speaking about what he's been speaking about in every verse, the written word of God. He's not speaking about some, you know, vague word floating about in space, lost in some nebulous, and it's just up there in heaven and we, we don't have it on earth. No, he's speaking about the word that he meditates in day and night. The word that he says, I hope in thy word. The word that he says, that I may keep thy word. The word that he says, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Of that very same word, he says, forever settled in heaven. So he's speaking about the Bible. There's no question about it. God's voice, God's utterance. And it's identified with heaven. The Bible's identified with heaven. Yes, it's on earth. It teaches us on earth. It instructs us on earth. But it has an identification and a union with heaven itself. In heaven. So the Bible has an identity with heaven, with the world above. It's not merely earthly word. If it was merely an earthly word, it would be a fallible word. But it's not merely an earthly word. It is also a heavenly word. It is a word spoken to earth and comes down to earth. But it's a word spoken from God in heaven to earthlings. And so it has a heavenly origin. That's what David is saying. There's no other book like it. There's no other words like it among men. All words amongst men are of earthly origin merely. But this has a heavenly 
identification. The word not only originates in heaven, but did you see the way he puts it? Settled. It's settled in heaven. He doesn't just say it, it originates there, begins there, comes down to earth. He says it's settled there. And that word settled means abides. It's still there. Abiding there. Living there. There forever too. Not just settled for a generation or two, but forever, he says. Thy word is settled in heaven. Well, what does that mean then? It means that this book that teaches us, that we are taught by, and that we are taught from, and we're taught concerning, that the words that we learn about, as well as coming from heaven, that, that they are their self, abiding, unchanging in heaven. So it's not just talking about the origin of the word, it's talking about the unchanging nature of God's word. It's settled. It doesn't change. It's standing. The word means standing or abiding. Fixed. Unmovable. You see, the opinions of men are not settled. We've been born into a generation where we see new opinions of men coming in like a tidal wave. They're overwhelming us. They're changing the very face of our universities. Changing opinions. We see that in our knowledge of human history, opinions and ideas, they differ in every generation. They change from year to year. And the rate of change has been very alarming in recent decades. We have ideas today that are circulating that our grandparents would not even recognize and would hardly believe that they are the opinions of men. We can hardly believe the shift ourselves in opinions that we have witnessed in our lifetime. And we dread to think what tomorrow's opinions may be. But do you see God's opinions? If I may use that word concerning them. They're forever settled. Unchangeable, like himself. He doesn't change his ideas. He doesn't change his thoughts. Doesn't change from one generation to another generation. His faithfulness, his truth abides in every, every generation, from generation to generation, forever and ever settled in heaven. The Bible is the word of God. And it's not like the word of man. The word of man is like a bit of rubber. You ever got a bit of rubber? And you can twist it and distort it. You know, sometimes the youngsters get these, these dolls, these toy dolls made of rubber. And you can move the arms and twist the head and stretch the neck and make all kinds of deformities with, with the, 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 wee, the wee toy. And that's the way men's opinions are. But you see, God's word can't be twisted like a bit of rubber and stretched the way you like it, the way you want it to be, to fit in this way or that way to your opinion. It's fixed. It's a solid rock. And so the Bible is the solid rock of God's holy word. We're not in the changing oceans of man's opinion. The church is on the solid rock of Holy Scripture. Upon this rock, this truth, this confession 
I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If we are built on the opinions of men, we'll go down to the depths of the ocean and we'll disappear off the earth altogether. But we're built on the word of God. And there'll always be a true church visible on the earth because of the confession of faith in the word of God. As Jesus himself said, the scripture cannot be broken. Not only cannot be stretched and you know, manipulated and conformed to your own ideas, you can't break it either. So we don't bring human opinions to the Bible. And we don't twist it. And we don't get to influence it. We don't influence the Bible. We don't give a vote on whether to accept it. We don't have a referendum on how to change it. To change the Bible is sin. To disbelieve the Bible is unbelief. And unbelief is sin. So the Bible is not something you get to have a changing opinion about. It's something we have to receive. We have to believe. We have to obey. And we have to bring ourselves under it. To be taught by it. And that's, that's what David does. He's taught by the word of God. That's why he says this at the start. I, I want to be taught. I want to be instructed. And to be instructed, I need to have confidence in the teacher. And I need to have confidence in his words. And the teacher God is faithful. And his words are infallibly, unchangeably, heavenly and true. As he said, Concerning thy testimonies, in verse 152, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. They're not going to change. They're established. They're on a foundation forever. Verse 160. Thy word is true from the beginning. And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. What did the prophet Isaiah say? The grass withers, the flower fades, everything fades, everything disappears, everything decays, everything changes. But the word of our God abideth forever. It's established forever. What did the Lord Jesus say? Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law Till all be fulfilled. The Saviour said. It's easier to move heaven and earth. It's easier to change heaven and earth. And you know how hard it is to change the earth. And the people who dig canals and make railways. They put a wee bit of a change on the surface here and there. But I mean, the vast landscape of it is pretty much the same. Over the generations. It's hard to change the earth. And for the cosmos. We're not making much change in the cosmos. Hard to change those things. But they will be changed. But God's word abideth forever. That's what we're built on. That's the rock on which we are established. God's word is true in every generation until the end. One generation after the other. It's still the same. We're learning from the Bible. We're learning from a faithful Word of God, 
and God himself, our faithful teacher. So we're learning about something that is solid, true, essential, and will never lead us astray. Now we've been thinking about the word abiding and settled in heaven. But let me ask you the question this morning. Is the word abiding and settled in you? It can be abiding in us as well. And it ought to be settled in our hearts too. So it has to abide with us. You want to be settled in heaven, don't you? You want to be a saved sinner, settled in heaven. You want to abide in heaven one day. Well, you won't. Unless God's word and his gospel is abiding in you. It's by the word of God and the gospel abiding in us. And through that word operating in our lives through Jesus Christ. That we ourselves shall one day abide in heaven. So the word of God abiding in you is very important. You need the Bible. You can't take it or leave it. You can't ignore it. You know whenever you come into the church. It's going to be the central thing. The main thing. What a church is all about. Church isn't about social organizations. And having pleasure and having fun. Lamed. Instruction. Learning. And teaching. That's the king in the church. And we're under the apostles and the headship of Jesus Christ. And Christ is our faithful, faithful teacher. So it has to settle in your heart. And you have to believe the Bible. And you have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as saints who believe in Christ, the word of the gospel does abide in us. We have believed his word. We have received his word. And the gospel and and Christ. uh, And we are saved. But you know, it has to abide in you even more deeply. Yes, there's an abiding in it unto salvation. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe the gospel. And you put your faith in Christ. And it's abiding in you. But it can abide deeper. It can abide far more. And we have to be more and more established in the truth of God's word. What did Paul say? He said, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Not just superficially. Not just enough to get to heaven. But let it dwell in you richly. Let it be settled in you as deeply as it's settled in heaven itself. Let let it abide in you. Remember how God, through Moses, had said that uh, these words, lay them up in your heart. Lay them up in your soul. Write them on your heart. We saw that David, he is praying this too. Because he says, thy word have I hid in my heart. In my heart that I might not sin against you. And you remember Jesus, he said, if ye abide in me, and my words abide in you. My words are being settled in you. Abiding in you. You'll ask what you will, and it will be done unto you. So it's important that God's word abides in us. Not just that we're saved, but that we have that grace to pray prayers that are heard and to live lives that are glorifying to God by the words abiding in us. So that's why we have church meetings, so that we will work at this instruction and get this word abiding us 
in us more and more. So let us then, congregation, this morning, people of God, let us renew our convictions. Let us strengthen our confidence concerning the Bible and its divine authority. Let us stand where Christ our head stood when he said, It is written, and the scripture cannot be broken. So let us strengthen our faith in the word of God. And let us also, congregation, resolve to read it. Read it. Read the word of God. Study the word of God. Let us come, as it were, to the Bible with fresh desire. With new longing. Let us stir up our hearts in the time that is allotted to us. In the few years that remain to us. Let us resolve to give ourselves more and more to this word of God. Let us make it daily bread. Let us make it even more than our necessary food. As a man of God on one occasion says. And let us pray over it to God. The faithful teacher to teach us. And to establish us in the faith and duty. That is revealed in his word. And let us insist that the pulpit and the ministers of our church do not slack in proclaiming the word of God in teaching the scriptures using it always and proclaiming for it and knowing nothing amongst the people save the exposition of the word and so say to your minister give us the settled word of God that's what we want and by God's grace and by God's Holy Spirit, you will thus be settled more and more in the Word of God. And brethren and sisters, I'll say this. There's nothing will make you more a settled congregation. A more a settled, satisfied people. Than by God's Word abiding within you. It's a settled Word. And it's a settling word in your life. So it's very important that we get it week by week. So may God bless these words to your heart for his great name's sake.